Amen. Thank the Lord for liberty. And of course, as we've been studying in 1 Thessalonians, that liberty is not to do what you jolly well please, but that liberty is to serve the Lord and to serve one another. Are you still thankful for liberty? <laughs> Amen. Now, we've been studying. Uh, I'm hoping, Lord willing, we'll wrap this thing up today. We've been doing a series about telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is just designed to maybe give you some, uh, some help, uh, maybe probably tell you a lot about what some of you already know all about, but just to remind you again, our job, our duty as Christians, and the reasons for telling others. We began, and I won't write everything on the board, but we began our study with the motives for telling others, and if you remember, because can anyone remember what the first motive is? Fantastic. It's for their sake. For their sake, we tell others about the Lord because, quite frankly, without it, where are they going to go? Not Walmart. Amen. They're going to spend eternity in the lake of fire, right? And you do realize that uh, uh, hell is just the holding place until after the great white throne judgment. Then they they're taken out of hell, uh, ushered up before the great white throne judgment, and then they're uh, sentenced by the Lord uh, for all of eternity in the lake of fire, that burn of a fire and brimstone forever and ever. Uh, the last motive we tell someone else about the Lord Jesus Christ is for a living church. Amen. Probably one of the greatest benefits that we can offer uh, each other, not only a living church as far as a church that continually grows, uh, not just the local church, but the spiritual church, which is every saved, born-again child of God. There are two churches, you've got to remember that and keep that in mind. The spiritual church, which every saved person is a part of, amen, and Jesus Christ is the head. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in the morning service. But then, uh, after that, there is the local church. And the difference between the two in the local church is where the pastor is, of course, the head there, but uh, the difference between the two is only saved people are in the spiritual church, but you can have a local church where there's lost and saved people inside of it, but there are no unsaved members in the spiritual church where Jesus Christ is the head. We said that the truth about telling others, number one, it's inconvenient. Uh, number two, it's contrary to the flesh. In other words, most of us do not get up in the morning and say, I just can't wait to tell someone about the Lord. I, I suppose we should just say shame on ourselves, but your flesh does not wake up sanctified, amen. It's something that you have to do every single day, and your soul has to make a decision whether it's going to follow uh, the spiritual man or it's going to follow the old man, right? And it's contrary to the flesh. It's troublesome. Uh, we know that when you start telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ, generally speaking, you're going to get into some trouble. It's coming your way. And think about it, one of the reasons why I believe many Christians don't tell others about Jesus Christ, or oftentimes people that do tell people about Jesus Christ, when they get into trouble, whether they consciously or not link it to their uh, efforts to tell others about Jesus Christ, it kind of gets that Christian to shut up a little bit. And you know what the devil wants to do? He wants to shut you up. Uh, think about it if you, uh, uh, this may or may not apply to you, but uh, what the devil would love to do is just tarnish the testimony of a Christian so he'll tempt a young Christian to smoke. It's hard to tell someone about Jesus Christ with a cigarette in your mouth. <laughs> hey, man, I want, you to go to, I want you to go to hell, even though I smell like it, <laughs> right? 
And so that's all the devil wants to do is just tarnish your testimony and get you off track and get you unable to tell someone about the Lord. It's troublesome, but we said this, it must be done. And the one objective for telling someone about the Lord Jesus Christ is that it, it brings, that objective is to bring someone to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We talked about methods of witnessing, giving your personal testimony. We talked about giving out gospel tracts. And let me tell you what, my default method is tracts. And I think you're going to find as the days go on, you're not always going to have time to talk to someone. That's not an excuse not to try. But if you can get a track in someone's hand, it'll, it'll, it'll do the preaching. It'll do the teaching. It'll do the talking when you can, all right? Uh, last week, we discussed what we call Aikido tactics. And that's just a, that's just a euphemism. Aikido is a martial arts uh, that tries to, that takes the force of your opponent and redirects it back towards your your opponent there. So we talked about methods of witnessing these Aikido tactics. When people come at you and tell you why uh, they can't be saved or why they're going to refute, just, we just gave you some pointers on how to turn that thing back around and continually point them to Jesus Christ. From this point, we want to cover real briefly the important topic of sin and hell. And we left off here uh, last Sunday school, the important topic of sin and hell. And we said this, this is vitally important. Before we do, let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, for a time that, Lord, we can learn just a little bit more and or be reminded of our duty as a Christian to tell others about Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, before a person is ready to be saved, this is so vitally important, I couldn't stress it enough. They must know that they're lost. They must know that they're lost. Uh, they must know if they're get, before they can receive Jesus Christ, before they can realize that they need heaven, they have to realize that they're headed to hell. And the, the unfortunate part of that statement there is Christianity today has air-conditioned hell. That is, uh, even in preparing for the message, uh, I debated about preaching on hell this morning because it's been a little bit... Jesus Christ was on the earth for three and, a half, uh, three and a half years, and he preached on hell on average of three times per year. And most preachers don't preach on hell, but once every great while. And a lot of Christians and a lot of Baptists, a lot of Bible leaders are air conditioning in hell. And let me tell you what, that person can't get saved unless they know they're headed to hell. And uh, if you ask a person where they think they died, you can expect to get a couple different answers. You might... Uh, you might be pleasantly surprised when you talk with a coworker. If you died today, where would you spend eternity? They might just look at you and say, I know, I go to heaven. Just remember, everyone that's a Christian is not vocal about it. And how about this? The fact that you may or may not may, may try and be vocal, you might just encourage someone else to step up and say something about the Lord. Many a workplace has many a Christian in it, but like one fellow said down uh, Detroit in the plant, he said, man, I, uh, he, his coworker found out... Uh, that he was, a, he was a Christian, and he said something like this. He said, uh, he said man, I've been here 11 months, and no one ever found out I was a Christian. <laughs> is, is that you? Do people know you're a Christian? Now, it doesn't mean you've got to uh, beat them up with the Bible, and you've got to have a smart aleck spiritual answer for everything. But you can expect a number of answers. They might just say, yeah, you know, I am saved. I'm going to heaven. Uh, you know what? You might get someone that's super honest and say, you know what? The way I live, I'd probably go to hell. And then uh, I think majority probably going to say, I really don't know. Most people, when I ask them right out if they were to, where would they go when they die, they'll say, I don't know, and then they'll say this, well, how in the world can you know? Which is a great response, because then you just turn that thing around. It says, if you had about three minutes, would you let me show you from the Bible? 
But if you're going to tell them that, you've got to know where to go. Amen? You've got to know your Bible at least enough or have a gospel track on you to help take you through that, that process there. And you might hear someone say who's agnostic, nowhere, it's just like you were before, so forth and so on. But uh, what you want to do, be very careful not to push someone to receive Christ if they don't see their own sinful condition. I couldn't, I couldn't emphasize this enough. Uh, many a good Bible-believing soul winner, and I'm not picking on those who try to soul win, but many have, uh, in an effort to put a notch on their soul-winning belt, uh, moves faster than they should in dealing with an individual and get someone to say a prayer, and they're not ready. They're just getting you off their back is all they're doing. And uh, many Christians, I believe, in a desire to score, in a desire to score a lost soul, uh, will uh, push someone beyond seeing their own sinful condition. And it's like they push through a sales process. I've witnessed it. It makes you want to throw up. I watched a person uh, sitting across the table from me, and he was dealing with a fella, and he was slick, and he had all the right words, and, and he asked all the right questions, and there should be some thinking when you ask the questions. But uh, just because you're a slick lawyer type doesn't mean that you get to just trick everyone into getting saved. You can't trick someone into getting saved. See what I mean? Uh, I watch them push them through a sales process and then push them into praying a prayer. Let me tell you what, if you don't believe in your heart, you're just saying words is all you're doing. But what I'm trying to say here this morning is that person has to understand that they cannot be saved until they see that they're lost. And you might know it. Look, you talk to someone, you might realize that they're lost just by the fact that they don't know, you know, they don't know anything about the Lord. They don't know anything about church. They don't know anything about heaven or hell. But you have to get them to see the fact that they're lost. Uh, I want to give you some verses here this morning that will help you get that across to them. Romans chapter 3. Look with me in Romans chapter 3 this morning. Now we're talking about the important topic of sin and hell. And we're talking about the necessity for a man to realize that he's lost before you try to get them saved. But here's some good verses. Always use the Bible. Your opinion isn't worth anything at all. Amen? Unless it agrees with the Bible. Uh, Romans chapter 3 verse 10 is a great verse. Romans chapter 3 verse 10, the Bible says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Some people might talk to you and deal with, when you're trying to deal with them about their soul. Uh, you know, I'm a pretty good old soul, and I'm a pretty good boy. You know, they say this uh, around these parts, a country boy can survive, right? And uh, I'm a pretty good old boy. I've never murdered anybody. <laughs> But if you hate someone in your heart, the Bible says you're guilty of murder. So the Bible says, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. You're right there in Romans chapter 3. How about this one? Now, this is very familiar to some of you. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. The Bible is very clear. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I mean, you couldn't get a better verse on that thing. Say, so who does that include? Everybody. <laughs> all. A double L. For all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Remember, you're trying to convince a man of his own self-righteousness. You're trying to get a man to see him the way God looks at him. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, another great verse. The Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, 
And so death passed upon all men, for that all except your mother-in-law have sinned. That's not what that says, is it? I don't care how good grandma was. If grandma never received Jesus Christ as her Savior, she's headed for hell. And if she died without Jesus Christ, she's in hell right now. It says, for all have sinned. I know you know that, but these scripture references will help you. It would be good for you to annotate or mark your Bible or highlight the verse or something like that. Uh, look at the next chapter, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The need of the hour in our witnessing efforts is to convince men that they're lost. Uh, this verse does a real good job telling you that you are somebody. Uh, this world does a great job of telling you how great and wonderful you are. Don't they? They do. I mean, the, boy, I'm telling you, what you need a break, and boy, you need a raise, and and you need this, and I'm to you need to reward yourself, and you need you time, and you need just time to unwind. But you know what you need to realize? You're a rotten sinner headed for hell without Jesus Christ. And you got to have a little bit of common sense when you deal with people on that. Romans six twenty three. The Bible says, "For the wages of sin is death." Ain't that something? You worked for the devil your entire life before you got saved, and the only thing he's going to pay you is with death. <laughs> for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me give you one more. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 and verse 8. If all have sin, if everyone has come short of the glory of God, look at this verse with me now. Bible says in Revelation 21, verse 8, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all, not politicians, but liars, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Uh, this is the second death. All right? So look, this is just a handful of verses to help you, and I'm sure most of you know these verses, but... You might write some of these down, some of these references to what you're trying to do when you tell others about Jesus Christ and convince them that they are lost. They are a sinner, and they are headed for hell. You see that? And that's, that's the ever-pressing need of the hour. Now, here's the other thing. <clears throat> if you're going to convince them that they're lost, now you can't leave them lost. You've got to show them that they can get forgiveness. You got to show them the way out. Would you agree this morning? <laughs> now, it's one thing to be able to convince someone from the scriptures and show them their self righteousness and show them their sin and get them to admit the fact that they're headed for hell, but you can't leave them there. Think about it. It doesn't help anyone to know they're drowning if they can't get rescued. <clears throat> doesn't help anyone to know that their house is on fire if you're going to walk by and let it burn. <laughs> Amen. If you convince someone they're going to hell, you have to make sure that you tell them how they can have their sins forgiven so they can go to heaven. Let me give you some verses on that. Look back to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 6. You've got to show them the way out. The Bible says in verse 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died, for the ungodly. Ain't that something? You know when the Lord died for you? The Lord died for you when you were at your worst. He didn't die for you when you were at your best. He died for who? The ungodly. 
Look what it says here. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. You see that? You've got to show them the way out. You've got to give them the rope. And not to hang themselves, but to get out of the pit. How about this one? John 3.16. You've got to show them the way out. You've got to show them there's forgiveness. You've got to show them that they're, uh, they might be lost, but they can receive eternal life. Uh, John 3.16, very verse, a familiar verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have, everla- have everlasting life. So you show, show someone that they're headed to hell and they admit it. So now you say, hey, you don't have to stay there. You can get out. You can get out. Uh, how about this one? Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. Or is it 18? I think it's 18. It is 18. 1 Peter chapter 3, 18. Now, this is a great verse to use with someone in dealing with their soul. Look, it says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. You see how many times he died for you? Once. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. The just for the unjust. That's your ticket out. What is? The just one. Who's that? Jesus Christ. You see that? Let me give you another one. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. You've got to show them the way out. If the Holy Spirit gives you the green light and the liberty to deal with someone about their soul and you are able to convince them that they're lost, you can't stop there. you got to go on. Colossians 1.14, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You see that? Redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. All right? And that's uh, important. How about one more? 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. <clears throat> Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Paul is just saying, look, this, this is what you need to this is what you need to get a hold of. He said that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And when you talk to them and give them the way out, you need to be clear that Jesus lived the sinless life that they could not. And when Jesus Christ died and shed his blood, it was for their sins, your sins. And uh, that's what you need to communicate. You've got to remember, you've got to communicate that peace that Jesus Christ lived that sinless life that you could not. And when he died and shed his blood, he shed his blood for your sins. I know it. Contemporary Christian music says, contemporary Christian music, and everyone listens to it today, is for those tears I died. He didn't die for your tears. He died for your sins. Your tears don't need dying for. Your sins are what need died for. And you got to be able to communicate that. Now, when you do that, you might get a chance to use an illustration. And if you read the New Testament at all, you'll realize that Jesus Christ always spoke in parables, and he always had the greatest illustrations you know what I struggle with as a preacher? Having an illustration to tie a something together. There's something about a good illustration that ties a point together. And you might consider when you're witnessing and telling others about Jesus Christ that 
you might have the liberty if you're in a situation where you can use an illustration to help them see clearly not only their need, the fact that they're lost, but their need for salvation. Here's a couple of illustrations I'll give you. First of all, you've got one, uh, you can call it the debt payment, the debt payment. And uh, what Jesus did for us, you might tell them, it was like a payment for a debt. Let's say you had a high bill with no way to pay it. Any bill's too high if you can't pay it, amen? Ever been there? Just me? All right. You all got everything paid for six months in advance, right? But you have a high bill with no way to pay it. But guess what? Someone gave you a check that covered the amount you owed. And you know what you got to do? All you got to do is take that check and put it in the bank. Any reason you wouldn't do it? As one feller said, I'm on the next thing smoking, man, if someone's going to write me a check to pay my bills. <laughs> all you got to do is put that thing in the bank. You see that? And all you had to do is deposit the check in the bank with no strings attached. That's a blessing, no strings attached. There's not a company out there right now that will let you get a hold of them without putting strings on you. Well, when Jesus Christ died for you, he paid a debt that you had no way of paying, and he paid it with no strings attached. All you got to do is take it to the bank. All you got to do is take it to the bank. He paid our sin debt by dying as a sinless sacrifice on the cross. And all you have to do is receive him. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave you power, become the sons of God. You might illustrate it by showing about a debt payment. Let me give you another one here this morning. Uh, how about a credit card account, since we're talking about debt? Let's say your life's like a credit card account, except instead of monetary purchases and gas station purchases and Amazon purchases, all the charges on that credit card are sin. You see that? Some Christians would have a pretty high balance. <laughs> but just imagine this. If you're lost, it doesn't matter what the balance is. Remember, you can't pay it. Throughout your life, sin will accumulate on your account, and the only way to remove the charges is to pay the penalty for sin. But yet the Bible says, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. On the other hand, Jesus Christ has an account that is clear of any sin charges because, why? He lived a sinless life. Remember, he lived a life that you couldn't. He lived a life that I couldn't. And he sealed the payment with his precious blood, proving that they're paid for. Here's the thing. If you receive Jesus Christ, you know what he does? He trades account with you. He takes your sin-charged account upon himself, and he gives you his holy, righteous, sinless account. How about that? Talk about a balance transfer. Isn't that a blessing? How'd you like that? I mean, I'm looking for the next visa. You know, 0% trans, you know, 0%, what is it? 0% transfer and no payment ever. Sign me up. I've always said I'm looking for one of them plastic cards with no payment attached to it. <laughs> but that's like getting saved. Jesus Christ gives you his holy, sinless righteousness, and he gets your sin. You see that? That's the credit card account. How about this one? How about a good old <clears throat> Christmas? How many like Christmas gifts? Some of them. Some are just flat out corny, right? <laughs> so here's another illustration. Uh, like You can call this the Christmas gift. Salvation's a free gift. You can't earn your way to heaven. What would you think if you're given a gift from a close friend at Christmas? Then in January, maybe January 15th, you get a bill in the mail <laughs> for the gift you got. It wouldn't be a free gift at all, would it? 
Well, then you tell them, well, look, salvation's free. All you have to do is receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a free gift. And a gift is never a gift until what? You receive it. You know, some of you parents, you buy all, or people, you buy all kinds of junk and throw it under a tree and, you know, to this family member and that family member and, you know, this niece and that nephew and this kid and more to that kid because you like that kid or whatever. But what happens if they just leave it under the tree? You got to go get it. You got to receive the gift, don't you? That's what we're getting at this morning. Well, let's talk just for a minute here about learning how to draw the net. Bible said that he'd make us to be fishers of men, amen? I don't know if some of y'all like to fish. And if you're going to fish, you, you got to learn how to draw the net or what you call it, set the hook. And you got to do it right. Because if you're not careful, they'll jump off. <laughs> and often when you're telling others about Jesus Christ and, and the Lord likens sinners to a fish. You know why that, that ridiculous sign on people's car, the fish sign, you know why that's ridiculous? Because they claim it to be Christians. No, that's the picture of a lost man in the Bible. All the dumb Christians in, in this world with the fish sign on their car. That's a picture of a lost man. Are you lost or are you saved? <laughs> Amen. If you're saved, the picture of you is a sheep. You see that? <laughs> but the picture of a lost man in the Bible is a fish. So everyone, you know, put the old fish thing. Uh, you know, I guess that means if you're a subcontractor, you get to mess with somebody and they got to forgive you, I guess. But anyways. But look at Mark chapter 1. I'll show you this. You got to learn how to draw the net. And let me tell you, you're not always going to get this thing right. But the more you fish, if you're a fisherman, the better you'll get at it. If you're like me, you go fishing every couple years, and you go off the end of the dock with a worm and a hook, and you try to fish for the ones you can see. And they're smart, right? You just... That big bass that lives under the dock, he's so smart, he's eaten 25 treble hooks and 30, you know, worms that day. He don't want what you're throwing out there. But it's, it's that fisherman that gets up early, right? He goes out on the lake, he'll troll for an hour, he'll still fish for a half hour, he'll switch baits, he'll switch tactics, and he always comes in, well, most time he'll come in with something. And if nothing else, he'll say, I know there's a place where they're biting over here at this time. And he'll go back to that place. Well, you ought to be that way as a Christian. You ought to be fishing. Amen? You know, we run down these people that have these bus routes a lot of times because I, I understand that. And we run down the, uh, the Hiles-Anderson mentality a lot because it's, uh, it's off balance. And if people are listening and they don't agree, I don't care, that's fine. They can turn the channel. But what you can't discount is the effort going into that thing. See what I mean? You can, you can, you can t- shred every NBA player and every NFL player that out there, and you'd probably be okay to do it. And you could say, well, they're proud, and well, they're overpaid. Yeah, but do you know what they did to get there? You see what I mean? And say, well, these people with the big churches, they're not doing it for the right reason. Well, they might not, but you've got to look at the effort going into it. Are you as a Christian willing to go fishing? Or just kind of stand back and, you know, Look at the reels or the highlights from Monday night football on Tuesday morning. And that's what you got to be careful with. Mark chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible says, And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. 
first of all, before we talk about that, look at the order what Jesus Christ said. Did he say, come be a fisher of men and then I'll have you follow me? Notice the order. You, uh, you follow first and then you fish later. That's just some practical stuff there. But if you're following Jesus Christ, you know what I know you'll do eventually? You go fishing. It's in the text. If you're not following Jesus Christ, you won't ever go fishing. But if you're following Jesus Christ, he says, I will what? Make you. Ain't that something? When you, when you, do what the, when you follow what the Lord tells you to do, he makes you do things. He makes you do things that you could never do on your own. You know what you can't do? You can't save anybody. But when you follow Jesus Christ, he makes you go fishing for men. You ever get close to the Lord and the Lord starts burning your heart to pass out tracts or tell someone about the Lord? And you follow through with that thing? Man, that's joy unspeakable and full glory. But the more you follow the Lord and you ignore that burden and you ignore that uh, leading of the Holy Spirit... That voice will get quiet, won't it? It'll get real quiet. You're like, well, I, don't, I, I haven't felt the need to pass out tracks in four months. wonder why that is. You ever, you ever, your parents ever uh, deal with you as, as children, as teenagers, and they say this, I'm only going to tell you once. <laughs> That's the way parenting ought to be done, amen? But I thank God for second and third reminders. <laughs> Some, you know, you don't need to tell your kids more than once. I mean, you're going to have to, don't get me wrong. You know, this old man told me, he says, if you got a black guy, I've already told you once. Anyway, just kidding on that. <clears throat> but he says, uh, sometimes we'll, in the Christian life, the reason, won't, reason why we won't tell others, we'll say this, well, I, I just don't have a burden for the lost. Okay, all right. You know why you don't? He's already told you what to do. And you ain't doing it. Why expect him to keep telling you to do the same thing? Ever tell your kids something? They do it? No. Nope. You got to keep reminding them? After a while, you're just like, why well, tell them? They ain't going to listen. I know you thought that. If you got kids, you're like, you tell them I'm blue in the face. They ain't going to do it. Consider sometimes the way you don't feel a certain way or don't think you should do something is because the Lord's already told you. And you done shut him off. But he says, come ye after me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. Now look, after a person has admitted that he's a sinner in need of salvation, you know what you ought to do? If the Lord gives you the ability and the liberty, you ought to prompt him to make a decision for Jesus Christ. Just ask him. Old sales technique is like this, and this is not a sales tactic, but they can never tell you no if you don't ask. Would you like some more butter pecan today? No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Would you like two or three bags of wings? Yes. <laughs> They can never tell you no. You say, well, that's, that's ridiculous. Is it really? Some people desire to do something they've never done before, and you just sometimes got to ask them, wouldn't you like to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior today? I sure would. A lot of people don't know how. Remember that old uh, Ethiopian eunuch? Uh, when uh, Philip jumped up there in, uh, in the chariot, went right up in the chariot with him, he says, believes what you, what you read here. He says, how can I accept some man guide me? You know what God's going to do? He's going to use every single one of you in here to guide someone else to Jesus Christ. And Philip gets up in that chariot with that uh, servant there, that slave there, and he begins to expound and begins to preach to him Jesus Christ. And that fellow gets saved. And, uh, but uh, we're talking about setting the hook or drawing the net. 
And uh, sometimes we get to this point, we get nervous, real nervous. Uh, I remember the first time I was 16, and I had the opportunity to go to New York <laughs> for this, I don't know, this thing, um, this youth thing. I just wanted to be around my, my girlfriend at that time, whatever. Anyways, went down there, and they're passing out tracks, and it was really tricky because they had these surveys. And you just go up to people on Fifth Avenue, downtown New York City, and you just start asking, well, do you believe in God? Do you believe the Bible is true and all that? It was really slick because that thing was geared to get them to come around and make a decision for Jesus Christ. So I'm asking these questions, you know, thinking I'm somebody, and all of a sudden I get to the end, and I'm so dumb, I don't realize the Lord's working on this young man. He's 33 years old. His name's David. I remember his first name, and he was 33. And... Uh, and the last question on the survey went like this. Would you like to know more about getting saved and trusting Jesus Christ, your Savior? He goes, yes, I would. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. And I'm like, what do I do now? They didn't go over that part of the survey. I said, hold that thought right there. I went and got one of the youth leaders there, and he come back around, and he trusted Jesus Christ. We knelt right down there at uh, Fifth Avenue and whatever we were at, some ungodly place there. You see that? You got to ask you got to set the hook. <laughs> you got to draw the net. Sometimes a fish about right, sometimes that fish will jump in the boat and Christians are so dumb sometimes to take fish and throw them back in the water. <laughs> no, you got to draw the net. You ever stop and think about how many people you have hoped were saved that aren't saved but would have got saved if you would have asked them if they would get saved? Uh, there's something about this generation of Christianity that assumes everyone's saved if they say the word God or Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what, they're not. And just because they go to church or they went to church here sometime or they went to a Christian school or they had something to do with something does not mean they're saved. You have got to learn to draw that net. And I'm not speaking as a professional. I'm just saying, look, you've you got to ask the question. If you're selling insurance, eventually you come to the point where you say, uh, would you like it? If you're telling about Jesus Christ, you say, would you like to be saved? If you had about three, four minutes, can I show you from the Bible how you can know for sure that if you were to die, you spend eternity in heaven? Oh, absolutely. And then you go to town. Well, you set the hook. You draw the net. And if the listener clearly understands he's lost, you should compel him to get saved immediately. Whether you think they understand all the doctrines of salvation or not, Remember when you got saved? I remember when I got saved. I just knew I was on my way to hell. That's it. You say, you mean to tell me you got saved as a fire escape? You better believe it. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was headed for hell because that was preached. And I knew Jesus was the way out. What would you do? Trust him as my Savior. Did you understand justification? I couldn't even spell the word. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 here. Setting the hook, drawing the net. Probably one of the most exciting things. And if you've won a couple souls to Jesus Christ, when you get to this point, you can almost tell. And then when they uh, get to that place, you'll, you'll see the Lord many times, not always, you'll see Him deal with them. And sometimes you'll see an emotional response. I've dealt with some people and they were stoic. But a lot of people, uh, they'll often get emotional when it's time for this. Why? That's the God's working on them. You see that? 6 2. 2 Corinthians 6 2. The Bible says, For he saith, I have heard thee in time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. That means help. 
Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Well, I don't know if I'm ready to be saved. Hey, let me tell you what. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. It's the accepted time. <clears throat> well, what about praying the prayer, right? All right. Many uh, people think they're saved by simply repeating a prayer, and they never really understand the gospel. That's the fallacy of a lot of Baptist uh, uh, personal workers. They get people to repeat a prayer. Repeat after me, you know. And, uh, but you have to emphasize that they must believe with their heart. Look at Romans chapter 10. The emphasis must be belief in their heart. Belief in their heart. Romans chapter 10, look at verse 9. 9 to 13. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart. You see it? That God hath raised him from the dead. doesn't say head. I think he did. Well, I think Santa Claus comes down the chimney. You've got to believe in your heart. That God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Here it is again. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That piece of the verse there, I believe, is why we have them pray. You see that? But the belief must come from their heart. And let me tell you this. You can't see the belief, but God does. Amen? But their belief must be in their heart. All right. And it says, For the Scripture saith, Whoso believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it's good to ask the person you're dealing with some questions to make sure they really understand what receiving Christ means. You talk to a Catholic about receiving Christ, they'll tell you, I receive Jesus Christ every Mass. And they've been taught, they've been indoctrinated, that when they take the, the Jesus cookie there, the piece of uh, the, the bread there, uh, that they're receiving Jesus Christ. If you turn on Joel Olstein, every single service, everyone in that whole place receives Jesus Christ by repeating a prayer. You say, what is that? That's foolishness. That's vain repetition. That's not how a man's saved. A man believes in his heart, and as Jesus Christ died once for us, all we have to do is receive Jesus Christ once. We don't have to pray a prayer every time we get in the church house. Amen? You might ask this. Well, after looking at these verses, what does the Bible say you have to do in order to have your sins forgiven? And if they answer correctly, you can follow up with, uh, by asking them, do you think the Lord will save you if you ask Him? Why not ask the Lord to save you right now? That's asking the question. Do you think the Lord will save you after reading the verses? I think He would. Well, why, why not ask Him to save you right now? The best way you I usually say the best way you know how, because lost people don't know how to pray. But you don't have to know how to pray. You don't have to know how to orate. I just ask them, why don't you just pray right now the best way you know how? And I'm telling you, some of the prayers I've heard, like uh, I led a FedEx guy to the Lord one time on the job, a little Korean fellow. I mean, super vocal. And he, uh, he started praying the prayer to receive Jesus. I believe he got saved too. And uh, he goes, and he was serious, and he says, uh, Dear Lord, I'm a sinner. And then he stops and pauses. Says, Lord, you know I'm a blankety blank sinner. <laughs> right in the middle of his prayer. And he just, 
And then he stops and goes, man, am I a sinner. And this guy's preaching in the middle of a getting saved prayer. <laughs> and some people are like that. And, and, and some other people, they mutter a couple of words and they open their eyes and their eyes are moist or something like that. And that's it. I'll tell you, that little Korean fellow that trusted Jesus Christ right in the office, man, he got it. And he got it. <laughs> and he knew he got it. Uh, a good way to set the hook, if I could say it like that, is to say, well, let's pray, not, let's pray right now and I'll pray first, and then you go ahead and lead in prayer. And then, when I'm done, you pray and ask the Lord to save you. Just tell him. You really think it's going to be about a specific wording, that hocus-pocus, you know, uh, a la mocus or something like that? No. I mean, when Peter was sinking out on the Sea of Galilee, you know what he said to the Lord? Save me. And if they believe that Jesus Christ died uh, on that cross and shed his blood for their sins, and all that person says to save me, <laughs> you think the Lord won't save them? And uh, now if they're hesitant, and some people will be hesitant. I've dealt with some people before. you probably dealt with people before, and they don't want to pray out loud. I told you about that one fellow named Matt, good friend of mine. He, uh, yeah, he didn't want to pray inside a restaurant. I get it. I'm just nutty enough to try to lead you to the Lord in a restaurant. But, but then uh, he didn't want to pray in a restaurant, and I thought I dropped, I thought I blew it. So I kind of, I paid the bill and kind of sauntered outside like, oh, woe is me, you know, you ain't going to get saved now. As soon as he got in that little red jimmy of mine, six foot six, bald head, you know, you know, Mr. Clean, he started bawling and asked the Lord to save him right in the stinking car. So you got to have a little bit of discernment when dealing with people. And I'm not saying this like I'm, I'm the... The guru. I'm not the soul winning guru. I've, I've led a couple people to the Lord, and the Lord's been good to me. But, and, but if they're hesitant and they don't want to pray out loud, uh, lead them in prayer. If they believe the verses and they've, they are interested in getting saved, lead them in prayer. And, uh, you know, a good prayer to use is, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I deserve to go to hell. Because you do. <laughs> I know I can't save myself. Because you can't. I believe Jesus died for my sins, was buried, and rose again, which he did. Amen? I now receive you as my Savior, trusting you to save me from hell. Thank you for saving me. That's it. And that's kind of a complex prayer, but you get the gist of it. You know, salvation is through the blood of Jesus Christ, believing in the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As long as you realize you're headed for hell and you can't save yourself, I believe that'll work. And after they pray, I would just say, now, did you mean it? Did you mean that prayer? And usually I ask them right after it, they pray, it says, where are you going to go when you die? And just as soon as it's fresh off their lips, they usually say, well, heaven. And then some of them go, heaven, right? <laughs> Why? Well, when you're a brand new babe in Christ, you've got everything figured out. Do you have assurance of salvation figured out? No. And many times, uh, Christians five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old still struggle with assurance. But I usually ask them right after they pray, hey, where are you going when you die? And they're like, heaven? Yeah, that's the right answer. <laughs> How do you know? Because uh, I believe not? Absolutely. <laughs> right? And at this point, I thought we we're going to get through it, but next week we'll finish it. Verses on assurance. As soon as a person's saved, you need to give them something. Amen? From the scriptures. You need to give them some verses uh, that give them assurance that what they did will stick because it does. Amen? And we'll just finish that up. And I'm going to hand the, uh, these books out here. Actually, Chuck, why don't you hand those books out? And this whole series that I did is through Brother Walker's book called Telling Others. And uh, I bought everyone a copy of that book. And uh, 
you'll get one here as Chuck passes them out. We'll finish up the verses on assurance, and you'll see them in there. I'll cover each one there and just wrap that thing up, and that'll conclude our Sunday school hour.